Welcome to Legendary Talks, a My Spring Harvest podcast bringing you the best sermons, Bible studies and seminars from over the decades. Today we're hearing from Andy Hawthorne. He's sharing on what it means to live between the tension and the fulfilment back at Spring Harvest 2017. Around this nation. Before I get into Isaiah 56 though, I've got a little bit of a confession. I told you that, you know, we came last year and funnily enough, we're in exactly the same chalet. Uh, don't know how that happened, but we are. We're in the same little chalet just across the way there. Last year, we came into this same chalet and it really stank. I mean, the drains were properly off. And I was saying on the first night to Michelle, you know, we're going to have to do something about these drains. And, and by the second night, it was just intolerable. So I phoned up Butlins and said, I'm going out to see my friends, John and Leslie, tonight, but could you send someone over? Because these, these just can't sleep in this room. We know we need to sort the drains out. And I'm walking to John and Leslie's place on the other side of the site, and I'm saying to Michelle, oh, my goodness, it stinks. It's not just our drains. It's all the drains. What is going on there? And I walked into John and Leslie's, like, chalet, and I said, John and Leslie, your place stinks too. And I opened up my bag of stinking bishop cheese and placed it on the table for my friends and realised the problem wasn't with Butlin's drains, it was with Andy Hawthorne's back. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, John, and we got a lovely note from a man called John, you know, one of the guys here at Butlin's. Dear Mr and Mrs Hawthorne, you know, we've searched high and low for the smell and we really can't find a smell in your chalet and this man's been like looking under my drains and everything and I didn't even tell him. It's taken me 12 months to confess. But because I'm a preacher, I can tenuously attach a Christian analogy to that. <laughs> Watch me do this now, friends. Because maybe, is it not true that, you know, the church can be a little bit like that, can't we? It's all your fault. You nasty, smelly world needs sorting out. You know, government sort them out. Police sort them out. Prisons sort them out. You know the people who need to sort this nation out? The Church of Jesus Christ. Because as it goes with the church, so it goes with the nation. It's not their fault, it's our fault. If we would truly embrace this message this week and come together, we could make an impact on this nation that we would not believe in Jesus' name. Because we are not... We are not short of resources. We're not short of money and people and buildings so that every person in this nation can hear the good news of Jesus in language they can understand. Every person, especially the most broken, can feel the touch of Jesus if we'll just work smart. If we'll just live out the unity that is already ours and especially as we look tonight at unity for mission. Um, Isaiah 56, which Gav read for us, uh, is written at a fascinating point in Israel's history. They're carrying like awesome promises. God's promised them they're going to del be delivered from the Babylonians and through guys like Isaiah and even the promises are starting to come true. A trickle of people are making their way back to Jerusalem but it's not like the full measure. It's not what was promised through the guys, not what was promised in the book. They know there's so much more to come. They're like living in that tension between the big promise and the fulfilment. I wonder if there's anybody at Spring Harvest on this last night who's feeling a little bit like that in your walk with Jesus. 
You know God's spoken to you. You know he's promised you so much more and you're glad for what he's doing, but you're desperate for more. Anybody relate to that tonight? Can you? That's me. I know God's promised me. We're going to see rivers in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals are going to honor him in vast numbers. I honestly believe God promised me that. I know God arrested me in a car park with my brother the first time we ever spoke about Eden publicly and some random stranger came up to him and said, the righteousness of your cause is going to shine like the noonday sun. You're going to inherit a land for Jesus. Guy didn't even know we're Christians. And we just spoken about Eden for the first time, just about to plant the first Eden team in, in Britain's most deprived communities. That's the kind of promises. And we're seeing some spectacular different level stuff. I just want to show you this picture here to kind of hopefully build your faith. This is a picture from Canada, our first Eden team in a place called Wally. Vancouver is a very funny city. It's a shiny city, shiny modern city with little pockets of great deprivation. And you'll go down the, the, into Wally and Surrey and you'll see the pavements littered with heroin addicts and prostitutes and junkies and you literally have to walk in the road because all the tents are out there. Well, our team minister, we have 15 people living in our first Eden team planting a church amongst that community. It's a beautiful thing. And they, they meet early to pray and then they go and minister on the strip. About a month ago, that picture's taken and... Um, the team went out there chatting to people, praying with them, inviting them to the stuff they're doing, seeing how they could bless them, providing them with food and all that good stuff. And um, a guy overdosed on heroin, a heroin addict, and died in front of them, collapsed on the pavement. And they quickly phoned the ambulance and the paramedics came rushing in and tried to resuscitate this guy on the streets of Wally just a month ago. And, uh, and they worked really hard on this guy, but they couldn't bring him round and he was dead on the pavement. Dave and Shane and my friends and Chris somehow felt some faith rise. I mean, we've never had a story like this before, but they started praying, kept on praying for the guys. For 25 minutes they prayed for the guys as he went grey and waxy and all the life's gone and the paramedics are packing up their stuff in the ambulance and then this man coughs and he sits up and he, his collar comes back and he comes back to life. I mean, do you believe Jesus can still do that today? And this is not Reinhard Bonnke or Heidi Baker. This is my mate Dave. <laughs> but actually, the best bit of the story, I mean, how can anything be better than that? I'll tell you what's better than that. The guy then gave his life to Christ. You would, wouldn't you? I mean, it's the big miracle. In some ways, what's the point in being raised from the dead if you're not going to live for Jesus? And you're not going to spend all eternity with him in heaven? So it's different level stuff. And I feel like God did that for our movement. Just to say, I'm ready. Things are stepping up. Just at the same time, as we heard that spectacular story from our friends over there, I, I was doing a presentation for this big secular foundation. You know, you you'd know the name of it. And I've been invited to go down to London. And I put all the materials together about our enterprise center and our discipleship programs and and uh, about the work we're doing in prisons and I prepared it all and did the slides and as I'm preparing I'm thinking oh this is very Christian because we are very Christian you know Christ's our inspiration our faith's our engine but I'm looking through all the slides thinking oh 
How's this going to go down with these wealthy businessmen who don't get our faith and have read the objects of their charity and all this stuff, but they still invited us to pitch. And I had about 10 to 5 just before I went home, getting the train to London early the next morning. I had a brilliant idea. I thought, you know, I'm going to wander next door to our headquarters, is our enterprise centre where the business is, where we provide jobs for ex-offenders who've come to Christ in prison. And, and uh, I just went into the building and I just said, guys, just, just, just a few of you, just come here. Can we just have a quick picture? And this is the picture I just took, just on, off the cuff. And, and um, this is the picture I took. You ever seen a happier bunch of people in your life, actually? And, uh, and so I went to the foundation and I flew through my presentation. And then I said, look, I know this sounds very Christian, but that's what makes it work. Can I just tell you what happened at 10 to 5? I, I just gathered my mates around me. These are just a few of the people working with. But can I just tell you the stories? And Joe on the end there next to me, he was a heroin addict who injected his brother with heroin who died at his feet. His best mate died in the cubicle next to him. His mother and father both died as alcoholics. One of the most broken people you could ever meet. And then Jesus steps in, in and out of prison. Salvation and hope comes. Now he's this fantastic chef who's thriving and loving life. The couple at the front next to him, Cyril and Laura, both mentally sectioned, told they'd never leave mental hospital. Both of them separately, independently. She was for 18 years a heroin addict. She, lived, she was eating out of bins on the streets of Glasgow. And then some of our friends went up and did a mission. And she gave her life to Christ. He said, where are you going to sleep tonight? Laura said, we've got nowhere to sleep. So he said, well, come and live with us then. Stuck her in the minibus. All she had was a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and a mobile phone. Very broken, but worked through all the traumas of her coming off heroin after that long. And then, then we discover, before heroin kicked in, she's a Vidal Sassoon trained hairstylist. And we need a hairstylist in our salon. So we give her a job, but we also find out she's this amazing evangelist. And she meets Cyril next to her, who's terrible self-harmer, terrible abuse like you, you can't believe. I mean, frightening stuff, in and out of prison, totally wrecked. Jesus comes in in prison through one of the prisons we work in and the team comes alongside Cyril and start to disciple him again. He's in one of my evangelist groups for training up young evangelists, one of the most fruitful evangelists you'll ever meet. Terry at the back, again, rampant addict. Ruth, alcoholic, seven and a half years in style prison for horrible things, but separate from her kids and her husband. She meets Jesus in style prison through our term. She's back with her kids and back with her husband. Neil was a homeless guy, vagrant, living on the streets, and then salvation comes. Gemma, at the end, again, was alcoholic, in and out of prison, and then, and then Jesus steps in. And uh, the guy next to Gemma is called Danny. Well, let me tell you about the girl in the middle. Sarah's probably the only person on that, well, she is the only person who's not in and out of prison for multiple years. But she was so broken and so shattered, and her life was so difficult, that one of our Eden team said, please give Sarah a job. And to watch somebody believe in her and give her a job and start to pay her a salary and train her as a barista and just see her blossom and flourish. And it's been a beautiful thing. Danny, the guy in the grey t-shirt. I'm slightly embarrassed to say I wanted to sack Danny a week before Christmas. Because he'd posted on Facebook, I'm fed up with my job. You know, we've poured our lives into this guy. And, and I'm like, and so I said to Carl Beach, my co-director, we can't have him posting that on Facebook. You know, and he, he, he's been taking the mick a bit in the last few years. We just need to get rid of him. And I'm like being really grumpy and horrible. And Carl, Carl Mr. Gracious Pastor says, 
Dandy, this is what we're all about. You know, if you'd been through the care system and if you'd had all the challenges of being in that prison and addicted, you know, you might not be the best employee. And I'm like, blah, 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 sort it out, Carl. Blah, blah, blah. You know? So Carl came alongside Danny and encouraged him and slapped him and, you know, got him back into line. And, and now, so that was 22nd of December. We finished work on that evening. On the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, we, me, me and Michelle went out for a swanky meal. We always do it with our friends at this restaurant called San Carlo, where, you know, on the next table were the Man United footballers. You know. So, and uh, we, we'd, once a year we do this, you know, expensive meal blowout thing. Um, and anyway, well, so we had our meal, and I'm walking back to the train, it's absolutely chucking it down. And I'm walking through Piccadilly Gardens, and it's pouring down with rain. And, and, I'm, and Danny stood there holding a homeless man's hands leading him to Jesus. And behind him, he's got a massive pile of jackets. And there's two mates of his, also, you know, saved through real brokenness and real pain and real hurt. And, and they're praying with homeless guys. And, and I'm like, oh. So I texted Danny and I said, oh, Danny, you didn't see me, but I saw you and Jesus saw you, and that was a beautiful thing you were doing. And he texted back and he said, Andy, we, we collected all those jackets and decided to go out on Christmas Eve, and we, I led seven homeless guys to Christ. And when I read it, I thought, oh, that's the result, isn't it? And on that picture, just, just put the picture back up, would you? On that picture, I'm telling you, that one little snapshot, tiny little bit of what God's doing on the earth, we're saving society millions of pounds. When those guys were drug dealing and in and out of prison and in and out of care and just brokenness. And then Jesus steps in. Is there anything better than that? Anything more important to give your life to? Seeing transformation. So we're seeing stuff. And I had this last week, this girl uh, emailed me, you know, Carissa. She's like, really, here's the Lord. And she said she was listening to some Worldwide Message Tribe music. The message was born out of this funny band called the Worldwide Message Tribe. Terrible rap thing I was in. And the first ever song we did was called Revival, which was probably our worst ever song. <laughs> Revival, you know, it's terrible. But, but the heart behind it was amazing. The heart, it was all about the Scottish Hebridean Revival. And Carissa said, don't let go of Revival, Andy. 25 years after you wrote that song. And she said, I believe God's going to send us a revival in this nation that will be hallmarked by wisdom and wild passion. That's what I want, don't you? I want wisdom from heaven to know the way to do this, but wild passion that keeps me going when others would give up. Anybody want some wisdom from the Lord tonight? Anybody want some wild passion towards his purposes? So I believe there's so, so much more to come. And I, I'm guessing, you know, 640 years before Jesus, Isaiah felt the same because of what he wrote in this book. You know, Isaiah, in Isaiah 56, looks forward. He always looked forward to the Savior, the one he called the suffering servant coming. And this picture throughout Isaiah of the cork will be off the bottle, everything changes. Suddenly, God's work isn't, isn't focused primarily on this little country in the Middle East, Israel. Suddenly, it's for everybody. And then, I've only really got two points for you tonight, from Isaiah 56. I know preachers are meant to have three, but maybe I'll make one up before I go. 
and maybe they could all even start with the same letter, except they don't. <laughs> but my two points are this, according to Isaiah 56, salvation is for others. In fact, the title in the NIV is salvation for others. Verse 8, the Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them. Besides those already gathered in, we are a people who are all about others. It is not about me and my little walk with Jesus. There is no such thing as a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus Christ is a very public thing. It is not a private thing. And the Great Commission is not a polite suggestion. Or the Great Commission isn't just directed at rampant, crazy evangelists. It's all our commission. Where the first thing Jesus says to any man, woman, boy or girl is, come. Great invitation. Tonight, before we finish this meeting, I'm going to bring an invitation. If you want to give your life to Christ, you can stand up and come to Jesus. I promise you, if you really come to Jesus and put him in charge of your life and turn away from what's wrong in your life, I promise he'll forgive your sins. Seen it time and time and time again. You don't have to be a heroin addict. You just have to be someone who needs a saviour, and we all need a saviour. And Jesus is the saviour, and it can be for you. And the great invitation is, come. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. Come to me if you're sick of your sin. Come to me if you want to go to heaven. Because only I can give you a place there. Come to me if you want a power to live right till you get there and make a change for me. Come, the great invitation. Guess what the second thing Jesus says to any man, woman, or boy, or girl? The first thing is come. The second thing is... I think we can do better than that. The first thing is come. The second thing is... Go on, get out there, Jesus says. Go in my name, go into all the world, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our charge, it's his commission to us to go in his name and as we go, he delegates his authority to us. So ordinary blokes like me and girls like you out there, we can be involved in the greatest privilege of the, in the world of leading people to him and seeing the greatest miracle in the world, far greater than raising someone from the dead when salvation comes. Someone goes from living their own little life, wrapped up in their own little needs, and suddenly they've got this big view of Jesus' kingdom, and he's in the life, and they've got a power and an energy inside through the Holy Spirit that changes them and makes them the person they're meant to be. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Salvation is for others. It is not just for you. We just want to take a quick break to talk to you about Spring Harvest. If you're enjoying this podcast, you should definitely join us at Minehead or Skegness this Easter. It's five days full of inspiring talks, heartfelt worship and family fun. On top of an amazing programme of sessions, it's hosted at Butlins, so you'll get access to the swimming pool, fun fair, play parks and so much more. It's great for all ages, a place where the whole church comes together at the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. So take time out, find space to hear from God and feel refreshed and equipped to live the life he's calling you to. Find out more, including dates and prices at springharvest.org. My great granddad, Captain Robert Hawthorne, here he is. He was one of the first Salvation Army missionaries to India. 1878, got on a boat, three month, one way ticket. They used to pack up the belongings in a coffin 
Gonna live for the lost, we're gonna die for the lost. And the thing I love about that picture so much is, look at the Salvation Army officers. They got turbans on their heads. They got long flowing robes. They got no shoes on their feet. My great grandfather even changed his name to Jai Bai. Becoming all things to all men to win some for Christ. And what a movement it is. And people have said, oh, the message is a bit like a modern day Salvation Army with all the creative music. Because of course the brass bands were just the music of the pubs and the clubs and all the heart for the poor. No, we're not, we want to be. We long to be, we long to see, because these people saw full-blown revival. They saw the full measure of the promise. They saw hundreds of thousands of street people swept into the kingdom. They saw crime stop for seasons in whole cities. I've got addicted to reading about it. It's amazing. And Booth, like most visionary pioneer, nutty evangelists who love the poor and the lost, William Booth was often right on the edge financially. And there was a time at the start of the 20th century, 1902 or 1903, when he was about to do his monthly newsletter, which he would send out to the whole field and Captain Robert Hawthorne would get it out there in India and all the different remote places where they were going after the poor. And this month, in 1902, William Booth had no money in the bank. And he used to have to pay for his newsletter by the letter. And this month he couldn't send out all his usual sermons and messages from the field and prayer requests and testimony. All he could afford was this, O-T-H-E-R-S. He only afford six letters. So the Salvation Army got a, a newsletter they would never forget. Telegram, out to the field. Captain General William Booth, others. Others, so they remember it is not about me, it's salvation for others. We need to wake up. And the second point, and actually it does start with the same letter, I've just realized. Salvation for everyone. The Lord says this through the prophet Isaiah. Let no foreigner say, who's bound to the Lord, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no unit complain. I'm only a dry tree. It's not just for others, it's for everyone. It's for all nations. It's for all people. And even in our lifetime, we've seen this gospel explode into all nations in the earth. The eunuchs in Isaiah's day were the forgotten people, the marginalized, the people who would feel rejected. They certainly weren't allowed to enter into temple worship. The Lord says, let the units come in, let the marginalized, let the vulnerable, let, let those who feel what's been done to them would exclude them, and what they've done to others would exclude them. Let those people open up the doors, the Lord says, fling wide the doors. It's for everyone, it's for all nations, all cultures. There's nothing like this gospel, is there? There are other religions in the world, but they're in little pockets around the world, even Islam. But Christianity is the big one that just invades every nation and every culture. And I've spent time with billionaires on super yachts who are following Jesus. And I've spent time in the slums of Haiti and, and, um, and Calcutta. And I've seen the worst of poverty. And the weird thing is Jesus is there in both those places. Spent time with people of every culture and every age. There's nothing like this gospel, is there? For everyone, fling wide the doors, says the Lord. I, uh, on Monday, got back from, just before I came to 
Spingarvis got back from South Africa. And uh, we flew into South Africa and then um, flew in. It's a long flight, overnight flight. And I was preaching on the Sunday morning. And then I booked us in on booking.com, a little guest house in a place called Franchuk. If anybody's been to Cape Town, you know how beautiful that place is. And we checked in this little guest house and we walked in. And I'm checking in and there's a black guy on the desk and he says, you know, you look like somebody I listen to on the internet. And I said, oh, mate, and what's his name? He says, he's called Andy Hawthorne, he's from Manchester. I said, you what? He says, yeah, I listen to his talks and all the podcasts and the message. And I said, how do you even know about me and the message? He said, yeah, well, I came to Christ in Drakenstein Prison and your team disciple me and they helped me found this job in this guest house and, and Mandler. So they're having this beautiful time in Mandler. And, and I went back last week and, and videoed him. And when I was there, I met Johnny, who's also came, come through our prison program. Here's a picture of him. And uh, they are the most godly, amazing, on fire. He's doing a theology degree, and he's, he's training for ministry. Johnny, and the guy on, the, on your right, my left, is a, no, your left, is a businessman, the guy in the blue t-shirt, training up people, wants to employ lots of people. He's as sharp as nails. They were gangsters who did some of the worst crimes you can imagine. Spent about 20 years in prison between them. Terrible things. Johnny actually killed a policeman in a shootout. I mean, what a terrible thing, and they are repentant about that. But the Lord welcomed them in. You know, if Johnny will have, if, if, if the Lord will have them, he'll have you, that's the point. There's nothing we can do than exclude. God's grace is all-encompassing, it's for everybody. That's why the great worship leader in the Old Testament, I think, was a, an adulterer and a murderer. And why the great theologian in the New Testament was a persecutor. And, you know, the, the, the heroes of the Bible are the biggest bunch of nutters you've ever seen, aren't they? Doing, and they've committed the worst crimes and then God steps in with his incredible grace. Don't you love it? And God wants to do it again. He wants to do it tonight and he wants to do it in your communities. Just pour out his grace on everybody. God really does want everybody to be saved. I love the fact that Spring Harvest Leadership Team do so much work Behind the scenes, there's a whole year's preparation, praying and seeking the Lord. And I mean, talk about hearing the Lord in terms of this unity message at this time. With everything that's going on in our world and everything that's going on in Europe at the moment, that God would put this on their heart at this time. And all the passages they choose, and they give you a little bit of direction about what to say, and uh, occasionally we listen. <laughs> but one of the things they, one of the things they said was, could you explore how the church is so much bigger than the church in the West or the First World and how God is at work across the world as we think about salvation being for others and salvation for being everybody. And so I got to do a beautiful thing last week and it was read this great big doorstopper of a book. It is the most amazing book. Please, if you're only going to buy one book, don't buy my book. Might cost you as much as two of my books, but he's better than two of my books. It's by this guy, Patrick Johnson. And anybody heard of Operation World? Yeah, Operation World. Oh, I mean, when I was a teenager, I was addicted to Operation World, just reading what God's doing on the earth. And I remember the first time the message got mentioned by Patrick Johnson in what God was doing, I was just bowled over. And, uh, but anyway, he's brought... 50 years or something, he's been millions of pieces of data from every country on earth about what God's doing and particularly what he's done in the last 50 years. 
and it's amazing. You know, when you live where we live, the one poxy little bit of the world where the Christian church hasn't been growing, you know, you can feel on the back foot, but God is on the move. You do know this, don't you? And you read about it, but also read some of the projections going forward. Even if we just keep on at this rate, what's going to happen to the church? And it's not just that the world's been turned upside down in my lifetime. You know, when I was born, most Christians lived in, in Western Europe and the States. Now the Christians are just spread all over the world. And it's not just Christians being added. It's spirit-filled, evangelical, going for it, missional Christians in my lifetime. If you don't believe it, read the book. And Patrick Johnson is one of these sort of geeky data guys who, who doesn't wave his arms about and get passionate. He just loves to study. But this is what he said. Now, when Patrick Johnson says this sort of thing, you listen, he says, we are experiencing the most dramatic expansion of Christianity in global history. I think we should cheer about that, don't you? <laughs> Jesus said, I'm gonna build a church. He said, I'm gonna build a church. And hell's not going to stop me. Patrick Johnson said, the expansion of Christianity has no parallel in human history. This period is the most astonishing harvest the world has ever seen. And he says in his foreword to this amazing book, I've seen so much of what God has done, it's even made me an optimist. <laughs> I love it. The guy's looking at what God's doing on the earth because when I was born, there wasn't really a church in China. All the missionaries had been kicked out. All the churches had been shut down. All the pastors were locked up. But you can't crush the church out of existence. And so any time now, China will have the largest church in the world. 100 million Christians. And so many of them are spirit-filled going for it. When I was born... Africa, large parts of it was pretty much the dark continent. Yes, there's still all kinds of challenges, but wow, God's poured out his spirit. South Korea was like one of the poor, poorest 10 countries on earth and hardly anything going on. Then this massive revival sweeps over 50% of the population into the church and they become one of the 10 richest countries in the world in the process and the great mission sending country and praying country. I know South Korea isn't perfect, but I tell you what, I'd rather live in South Korea than North Korea, wouldn't you? <laughs> and don't you think maybe God put those countries side by side? This is what can happen when a country's open to me and revival breaks out, and this is a country that's forgotten me and ignored me and denied me. It's all there in Isaiah, of course. We make our choices. When I was born, Russia was still close to the gospel, and then almost in a day, it all turned round. Wow, we're living in exciting times. And this, in lots of ways, April the 5th, whatever it is. Is it April the 5th? It's day five or something like that. That's all it is. That's all we know nowadays, isn't it? We've got into this other world. Perhaps we need to break out of it quick. What is it? Seven. April the 7th, right. April the 7th is actually more exciting than April the 5th. You know, it is. It, no, it is. I'll explain why. Because on April the 7th, more people are going to come to Christ than any time since he rose from the dead. Every day, more. No, clap. Come on. I said more people are going to come to know Christ than any time since he rose from the dead. 
There's an unprecedented harvest. God is pouring out his spirit, as he said through the prophet Isaiah. He said, it's for all nations. He said, I will have a house of prayer in all nations. It's all in here. Like, he's out there. Once my son comes and pours out his life and he's sacrificed on that cross and rises again and pours out his spirit, I'm going to move all over the world and nothing's going to stop me. Yes, the dark's getting darker. Don't be surprised at ISIS and disgusting people, traffickers and false teachers. Don't be surprised. But the Lord says, my salvation is close at hand. My righteousness will swiftly be revealed. You know, I'm reading Patrick Johnson's book and I'm thinking, Jesus is coming soon. I don't know when he's coming. I'm, I'm not saying he's, I've not got a date for you. I'm not going that mad. You know, I've read the book as well. I've read the Bible. But I tell you, he's coming soon. The way he's pouring out his spirit on all people is what's happened in my lifetime. It's not long, people, till he returns. And we may even be living in the most exciting generation in world history. But whether he turns in my lifetime, or whether I get to stand before him when I die and go to be with him, I know what I want to be doing. I want to be loving the poor. I want to be maintaining justice as we're challenged to do in Isaiah 56. I want to be pouring out my heart to others and everyone in his name because the gospel's lost none of its power and God hasn't forgotten about us in the UK. Just finished by saying this. I'm friends with two lovely people who lead care, Lyndon and Celia Bowring. Anybody know Lyndon and Celia? They are just like the most beautiful people. And care are doing a precious work. And uh, I often go to stay with them and have this amazing hospitality at their house. But anyway, I went to stay with them a couple of months ago. And I said, you know what, Celia? I don't even know how you became a Christian. And Celia Barry said, oh, I became a Christian under Lyndon's ministry in the early 70s. And he, and he was a minister at Kensington Temple. And then she said this. She said, and KT was the only charism large charismatic church in London. And it had about 500 members. You know, when she said that, I thought, my goodness, God, what you've done in my lifetime. You know, and when I became a Christian, I remember going to Keswick Convention. It was like the best show in town. And I was under the same banner, all one in Christ Jesus. And I thought it was amazing. There was no spring harvest and new wine and soul survivor and all these amazing things. And, and God's renewed his church. Yeah, we've lost a few people, but I believe it's called pruning for growth. And then in Patrick Johnson's book, I read this. And I, we've got a little bit obsessed with, with um, higher tour about what about if we could see 10% of young people in this nation who are on fire for Christ. What about if we relentlessly went together to win 10% and see them become real disciples? What a prize that could be. And even it could be enough, because all the evidence is from all the research, if you can see just 10% truly embracing something, it'll be a tipping point in culture, for good or evil. What about if we get 10%? You know what Patrick Johnson said? In the next few years, within my lifetime, 10% of people on planet Earth are going to be spirit-filled, charismatic, evangelical believers. 10% of the world's population. I mean, this is like all happened pretty much in my lifetime. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? God's doing something on the earth. Don't you want to be part of the action? 
You don't want to slink in through the back door. When I get there, I want the angels to be dancing, the trumpets to be blowing. I want there to be a load of people there saying, come on, I five, Andy, look at this. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want my passion to be his passion. Salvation for others, salvation for everyone. Help us, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legendary Talks. If you enjoyed it, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit springharvest.org to find out more. We'd love to see you at Spring Harvest 2024.